Today is March 8th, and this is the One Year Bible Tour, a podcast with daily readings from the Old and New Testaments, where we also take a few moments to stop on our way to make important observations that will feature in the meta narrative of God's redemptive work in history and his self disclosure in his holy word. My name is David McAdam, pastor of New Life Community Church in Concord, Massachusetts. It's a privilege to be reading through the word together with you, and we are making our way in our readings through the Old Testament and are in the book of Numbers, chapter 10. If you recall, for almost two years, the people of Israel have gone nowhere. They've been camped on the plains of Sinai. But God is using this time to prepare them for the journey ahead. The book of Genesis was a gripping narrative. This was followed by the first half of the book of Exodus, which continued the dramatic story of the descendants of Jacob and their emergence as a great nation from their captivity in Egypt. However, the action stopped in Exodus chapter 19. The first half of Exodus, the entire book of Leviticus, and the first ten chapters of Numbers, until the tenth verse, record the words of the Lord, the law of God, his testimony in the tabernacle, and the preparations required for the march into the promised land. During this extensive stop on the plains of Sinai, the Lord has made it known that He is a holy God. He binds Himself to His people, Israel, in a holy covenant. Israel's challenge to fulfill its holy calling to be a holy nation. In Exodus chapter 19, verse 5, Through them and their seed, His promise of redemption is to extend to all nations. The first part of the law spoke of the demands of God's holiness in Exodus chapters 20 to 24. The second part of the law spoke of how those demands will be fulfilled in the service of the tabernacle, Exodus chapter 25 through chapter 31. The law points us to our need for grace. The tabernacle points us to the provision of God's grace where the law is fulfilled through the perfect life and perfect sacrifice of our great high priest, Jesus Christ. The tabernacle in the wilderness is set up on the first day of the first month of the second year. Offerings for the altar are received for twelve days, in Numbers chapter 7, verse 78. On the fourteenth day, the nation celebrates the second Passover in history, the first Passover as a memorial to the actual event. On the first day of the second month, God initiates a plan to organize and prepare His people to advance through the wilderness to the promised land. The first census begins with the numbering of the fighting men, in Numbers chapter 1. The second census numbers the Levites, the priests, organizing them into the households of the sons of Levi, Gershon, Kohath, and Merari, in Numbers chapter 3, verse 16. The third census was taken of the firstborn males of the people of Israel to assure them that there would be an appointed substitute from among the Levites to stand in for them, in Numbers 3, verse 40. In the book of Numbers, we see that God is able to mold the mob into a well-organized congregation, with each member knowing their place and duties when the time came for the march. And now in our reading, we come to the final detail before they set out, which is concerning their communication and the means of rallying their obedience through these silver trumpets. So we begin our reading in Numbers chapter 10, verse 1. 
The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Make two silver trumpets. Of hammered work you shall make them, and you shall use them for summoning the congregation and for breaking camp. And when both are blown, all the congregation shall gather themselves to you at the entrance of the tent of meeting. But if they blow only one, then the chiefs, the heads of the tribes of Israel, shall gather themselves to you. When you blow an alarm, the camps that are on the east side shall set out, and when you blow an alarm the second time, the camps that are on the south side shall set out. An alarm is to be blown whenever they are to set out, but when the assembly is to be gathered together, you shall blow a long blast, but you shall not sound an alarm. And the sons of Aaron, the priests, shall blow the trumpets. The trumpets shall be to you for a perpetual statute throughout your generations. And when you go to war in your land against the adversary who oppresses you, then you shall sound an alarm with the trumpets, that you may be remembered before the Lord your God, and you shall be saved from your enemies. On the day of your gladness also, and at your appointed feasts, and at the beginnings of your months, you shall blow the trumpets over your burnt offerings and over the sacrifices of your peace offerings. They shall be a reminder of you before your God. I am the Lord your God. In the second year, in the second month, on the twentieth day of the month, the cloud lifted from over the tabernacle of the testimony, and the people of Israel set out by stages from the wilderness of Sinai, and the cloud settled down in the wilderness of Paran. They set out for the first time at the command of the Lord by Moses. The standard of the camp of the people of Judah set out first by their companies, and over their company was Nashon, the son of Amminadab, and over the company of the tribe of the people of Issachar was Nethanel, the son of Zuar, and over the company of the tribe of the people of Zebulun was Eliab, the son of Helon. And when the tabernacle was taken down, the sons of Gershon and the sons of Merari, who carried the tabernacle, set out. And the standard of the camp of Reuben set out by their companies, and over their company was Elizer the son of Shedeor. And over the company of the tribe of the people of Simeon was Shelumiel, the son of Jerishadai. And over the company of the tribe of the people of Gad was Eliasaph, the son of Deuel. Then the Kohathites set out, carrying the holy things, and the tabernacle was set up before their arrival. And the standard of the camp of the people of Ephraim set out by their companies, and over their company was Elishama the son of Amihud. And over the company of the tribe of the people of Manasseh was Gamaliel the son of Bedazur. And over the company of the tribe of the people of Benjamin was Abidan the son of Gideoni. Then the standard of the camp of the people of Dan, acting as the rear guard of all the camps, set out by their companies, and over their company was Ahiezer, the son of Amishadai, and over the company of the tribe of the people of Asher was Pagael, the son of Akron, and over the company of the tribe of the people of Naphtali was Ahira, the son of Enan. This was the order of march of the people of Israel by their companies when they set out. And Moses said to Hobab, the son of Reol, the Midianite, Moses' father-in-law, we are setting out for the place of which the Lord said, I will give it to you. Come with us, and we will do good to you, for the Lord has promised good to Israel. But he said to him, I will not go. 
I will depart to my own land and to my kindred. And he said, Please, do not leave us, for you know where we should camp in the wilderness, and you will serve as eyes for us. And if you do go with us, whatever good the Lord will do to us, the same we will do to you. So they set out from the mount of the Lord three days' journey, and the ark of the covenant of the Lord went before them three days' journey to seek out a resting place for them. And the cloud of the Lord was over them by day whenever they set out from the camp. And whenever the ark set out, Moses said, Arise, O Lord, and let your enemies be scattered, and let those who hate you flee before you. And when it rested, he said, Return, O Lord, to the ten thousand thousands of Israel. Chapter 11 The People Complain And the people complained in the hearing of the Lord about their misfortunes, and when the Lord heard it, his anger was kindled, and the fire of the Lord burned among them and consumed some outlying parts of the camp. Then the people cried out to Moses, and Moses prayed to the Lord, and the fire died down. So the name of that place was called Taborah, because the fire of the Lord burned among them. Now the rabble that was among them had a strong craving. And the people of Israel also wept again and said, Oh, that we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt that cost nothing, the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic. But now our strength is dried up, and there is nothing at all but this manna to look at. Now the manna was like coriander seed, and its appearance like that of bdellium. The people went about and gathered it, and ground it in handmills, or beat it in mortars, and boiled it in pots, and made cakes of it. And the taste of it was like the taste of cakes baked with oil. When the dew fell upon the camp in the night, the manna fell with it. Moses heard the people weeping throughout their clans, every one at the door of his tent. And the anger of the Lord blazed hotly, and Moses was displeased. Moses said to the Lord, Why have you dealt ill with your servant? And why have I not found favor in your sight, that you lay the burden of all this people on me? Did I conceive all this people? Did I give them birth, that you should say to me, Carry them in your bosom as a nurse carries a nursing child to the land that I swore to give to their fathers? Where am I to get meat to give to all this people? For they weep before me and say, Give us meat that we may eat. I am not able to carry all this people alone. The burden is too heavy for me. If you will treat me like this, kill me at once, if I find favor in your sight, that I may not see my wretchedness. Then the Lord said to Moses, Gather for me seventy men of the elders of Israel, whom you know to be the elders of the people, and officers over them, and bring them to the tent of meeting, and let them take their stand there with you. And I will come down and talk with you there. And I will take some of the spirit that is on you, and put it on them, and they shall bear the burden of the people with you, so that you may not bear it yourself alone. And say to the people, Consecrate yourselves for tomorrow, and you shall eat meat. For you have wept in the hearing of the Lord, saying, Who will give us meat to eat? For it was better for us in Egypt. Therefore the Lord will give you meat, and you shall eat. You shall not eat just one day, or two days, or five days, or ten days, or twenty days, but a whole month, until it comes out at your nostrils and becomes loathsome to you, because you have rejected the Lord who is among you, 
and have wept before him, saying, Why did we come out of Egypt? But Moses said, The people among whom I am number six hundred thousand on foot, and you have said, I will give them meat, that they may eat a whole month. Shall flocks and herds be slaughtered for them, and be enough for them? Or shall all the fish of the sea be gathered together for them, and be enough for them? And the Lord said to Moses, Is the Lord's hand shortened? Now you shall see whether my word will come true for you or not. And this is the end of our reading from the Old Testament, the book of Numbers. Our reading today began with the details concerning the sounding of the silver trumpets. Clear communication is important in every community. More than 600,000 men, plus women and children, and some others known as a mixed multitude who had come out from Egypt in Exodus 12:38, were to be mobilized quickly and in an orderly fashion. To assure that they would understand their marching orders and the intended purpose of their movements, clear signals were to be given on silver trumpets. Make yourself two trumpets of silver, of hammered work you shall make them, and you shall use them for summoning the congregation and for having the camps set out. Verse 2. The word for trumpets here is hatsosera, which indicated a long, straight, narrow trumpet with an expanded mouth. There's another word for trumpet in the Old Testament, shofar, which is a ram's horn. It is not the ram's horn that is used here. These trumpets were to be made of beaten silver. Silver, as we have seen, is a consistent symbol of redemption in the Bible. It was the silver shekel that was used to redeem the sons of Israel in Numbers chapter 3, verse 46. If only one trumpet sounded, the leaders would assemble. If the two trumpets sounded together, all the people would assemble. All the children of Israel were instructed to distinguish the different meanings of the trumpet blasts. The trumpet alerted the people for the following redemptive purposes. Number one, to assemble together as a congregation. In Numbers chapter 10, verse 2, in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25, we are called to assemble. Number two, to advance, setting out under the leadership of the cloud. In Numbers chapter 10, verse 2, we have our commission from Jesus to advance in the Great Commission in Matthew 28, verses 19 to 20. Number three, there was a call to battle. The trumpet sounded an alarm that they were under attack and they were to be rallied for warfare against the adversary who oppresses them in Numbers chapter 10, verse 9. We also are to rally in spiritual warfare in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18. Fourthly, the trumpet would call them to celebrate. The trumpet could also sound forth a call to show joyful gratitude to God. It was used as a call to praise and worship. It was a call to remember who God is and His redemptive work, highlighted in the appointed feasts and the regular festivals in Numbers chapter 10, verse 10. With the last instruction pertaining to the trumpets given to the people, the cloud finally moves on the twentieth day of the second month of the second year after the Exodus. After two years camping in the wilderness of Sinai, the people set out for the first time with the tabernacle. In verse 11, Now in the second year, in the second month, on the twentieth day of the month, the cloud was lifted from over the tabernacle of the testimony, and the sons of Israel set out on their journeys from the wilderness of Sinai. Then the cloud settled down in the wilderness of Paran, so they moved out for the first time according to the commandment of the Lord through Moses. We read about the setting out in verses 11 to 28. 
It could have been a chaotic mess if it had not been for the law of God and the specific instruction pertaining to tribal leadership, banners, signals, encampments, and a prescribed procession order. However, because of obedience to a divine instruction, when the time came to set out, the procession went smoothly. The tribe of Judah set out first, with the rest of the encampment on the eastern side following, the tribes of Issachar and Zebulun. Then the tabernacle fabrics and framework were packed up by the Gershonites and Merorites who carried their cargo on the carts that had been given them by the other tribes' leaders. In Numbers 7, verses 1 to 8. The southern flank under the standard of Reuben followed, with the tribes of Simeon and Gad behind them. Then came the Kohathites, carrying the sacred objects of the tabernacle on wooden staves covered with gold. Remember, it was forbidden to carry them any other way but on the shoulders of the Kohathites, in Numbers chapter 7, verse 9. The marching of the Kohathites, with the sacred objects of the sanctuary upon their shoulders, is a picture of the privilege and responsibility of believer priests to personally shoulder the cross of Jesus Christ. We are to daily recognize our identification with Him. When He died, we died. When He was buried, our old man was buried. When He rose, from divine viewpoint, we are in union with Him in His resurrection. When He ascended to the right hand of the Father, we ascended in Him. Through the ascension, the gift of the Holy Spirit has descended into our hearts. Our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit. We bear His presence and His testimony in the wilderness of this world. We bear the significance of the altar. His exchanged life makes us a living sacrifice. We bear the laver, that is the cleansing of His Word. We bear the lampstand. He has made us lights of the world. We bear the tabernacle of showbread, His fellowship with and in His people, and the altar of incense, His testimony of perfect worship and prayer before the Father. We joyfully carry the testimony portrayed in the Ark of the Covenant, the merits of His perfect finished work of redemption, no condemnation. He is our daily bread and our resurrection life. The camp of Ephraim on the west followed the Levites, with the tribes of Manasseh and Benjamin following them. Finally, the rear guard for all the units set out, the northern flank under the standard of the tribe of Dan, with the tribes of Asher and Naphtali following them. The Kohathites, carrying the Ark of the Covenant, must have made their way to the front. Thus they set out from the Mount of the Lord three days' journey, with the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord journeying in front of them for the three days, to seek out a resting place for them. In Numbers chapter 10, verse 33. The Ark is given the position of headship. The procession follows the leadership of that which represents Christ. Preeminence must be given to the pioneer of our faith and the captain of our salvation. In verse 35, the ark is identified with the movement of the cloud. Whenever the ark set out, Moses said, Rise up, O Lord, may your enemies be scattered. And whenever the ark came to rest, Moses said, Return, O Lord, to the countless thousands of Israel. In verse 36, we will hear these phrases repeated in future generations as we travel through the Old Testament. In Psalm 68, verse 1, Let God arise, let his enemies be scattered, and let those who hate him flee before him. Next we read of Hobab, Moses' brother-in-law. Moses invites his Midianite brother-in-law, Hobab, to join the journey. 
At first, Moses invites him to come with him and assures him that he would do him good, for that is what the Lord has promised Israel. But Hobab refuses, preferring his own land and people. Moses repeats the invitation, challenging Hobab to put his knowledge to good use. Hobab was familiar with the land and could tell them where to camp and function as eyes for them. It was a call to service, to sacrifice, and to use his gifts to help others, more akin to the call of Jesus to his disciples. Hobab finally responded to this call and joined the journey, for we read of his descendants in Judges chapter 4, verse 11. The wisdom of Moses extending this invitation is debated. Was Moses forgetting that it was the Lord who would be the eyes of Israel and that it was the cloud that would determine where to camp? Next we read of the Tabara fire, the murmuring that causes God's anger to burn. Some people don't travel well. The children of Israel were complaining within three days after miraculously crossing the Red Sea. They'd complained about the water at Marah in Exodus chapter 15, verses 22 to 26. Two years later, they are found complaining once again on the heels of a triumphant march with the supernatural manifestation of the presence of the Lord in the pillar of cloud and fire the Lord detects their heart murmur. It is important to note that all our complaints, no matter how private, are within the Lord's hearing. In Numbers chapter 11, verse 1, our words reflect our thoughts, preoccupations, and perspectives. The Lord mercifully warns them of his anger at their unbelief by consuming the outskirts of the camp. The rabble, that is the mixed multitude, those foreigners who came with them from Egypt, in Exodus 12:38 who had greed desires, and the sons of Israel stirred up strife with their complaints. These became the rabble-rousers in the community. Sins of the tongue spread like wildfire. God's warning of the wildfire did not curtail the complaining. Instead of setting their affections and minds on things above and the miraculous provisions and sure promises of God, they fantasized about Egypt saying nothing of the slavery, the lashes, and beatings they endured under their taskmasters there, they reflected on the salad bars in the slaves' canteen with free fish and a choice of five sides, cucumbers, melons, leeks, onions, and garlic. The manna is a picture of Christ, the living bread from heaven, in the Gospel of John, chapter 6, verse 51. But the people were griping about God's provisions. Now our strength is dried up, and there is nothing at all but this manna to look at. In Numbers 11.6 How sad it is when we can become familiar with the miraculous presence of Christ in our lives. Hearts can turn cold. They look at the manna and refer to it, but their diseased appetites no longer hunger to partake of it. Does this reflect our attitude towards Christ? How is it with our spiritual thirst and hunger to know Him more? It is when our strength is dried up that we need to look to Christ, our bread from heaven, and partake of Him. We should remember where our strength comes from. The heart murmuring now turns to a roar with people weeping at the doors of their tents in Numbers 11 verse 10. Moses is so discouraged by the burden of leadership that he asks the Lord to either help him or kill him in Numbers 11:15. How was Moses to encourage the troops whose minds were set on things below and could not see the good of what God had done or was doing in their midst. 
the Lord asked Moses to gather 70 elders so that they could encourage the people with their words, which would come from the same spirit that inspired Moses. As soon as the spirit rested on them, the 70 began to prophesy, which must have provided some encouragement to the people. Sadly, the 70 did not continue doing it. In Numbers 11.25, the scriptures do not tell us why, but the overall message of the remaining chapters hint that it was a resistance in their hearts to believe the word of God. You cannot prophesy the spirit-wrought encouragement of the Lord through the spoken word for very long if you don't have a heart to believe it. Now let's read from the New Testament, the Gospel of Mark, chapter 14. It was now two days before the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to arrest him by stealth and kill him. For they said, Not during the feast, lest there be an uproar from the people. And while he was at Bethany, in the house of Simon the leper, as he was reclining at table, a woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard, very costly, and she broke the flask and poured it over his head. There were some who said to themselves indignantly, Why was the ointment wasted like that? For this ointment could have been sold for more than three hundred denarii and given to the poor. And they scolded her. But Jesus said, Leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you, and whenever you want, you can do good for them. But you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. And truly, I say to you, wherever my gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. Then Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve, went to the chief priests in order to betray him to them. And when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money, and he sought an opportunity to betray him. And on the first day of unleavened bread, when they sacrificed the Passover lamb, his disciples said to him, Where will you have us go and prepare for you to eat the Passover? And he sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the city, and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him, and wherever he enters, say to the master of the house. The teacher says, Where is my guest room, where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room, furnished and ready. There prepare for us. And the disciples set out and went to the city and found it just as he had told them, and they prepared the Passover. And when it was evening, he came with the twelve, and as they were reclining at table and eating, Jesus said, Truly I say to you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. They began to be sorrowful and to say to him, one after the other, Is it I? He said to them, It is one of the twelve, one who is dipping bread into the dish with me. For the Son of Man goes as it is written of him. But woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. And this concludes our reading from the New Testament Gospel of Mark. Jesus said that wherever the Gospel is preached in the whole world, the story would also be told of what Mary did when she was with Jesus in the house of Simon the leper in Bethany. She broke the alabaster box of perfume and anointed his head with the costly ointment of spikenard. This statement is amazing as we consider that Jesus prophesies with confidence that his message would be preached in the whole world, 
and that Mary of Bethany would be spoken of in the context of telling his story. Her act, so highly praised and considered a suitable adjunct to the gospel, is not one of contributing to some social work among the needy, or even a display of love for neighbor as admirable as that might be. It is an act of pouring out all that she had while given the opportunity in devotion to Christ. It must have been her most costly possession. It was a hope chest of sorts, and she voluntarily expended it all upon Jesus. No other day in her life, no other person, no other work, no other cause or investment was more worthy than this one. She honored Jesus with utter devotion and abandonment. Jesus' own disciples were indignant at her deed. They scolded her, but Jesus saw it as a praiseworthy act of worship reflecting true spiritual discernment. The disciples protested, To what purpose is this waste? In Mark chapter 14, verse 4, and Matthew chapter 26, verse 8. The Gospel of John tells us that it was Judas who said, Why was this perfume not sold for three hundred denarii and given to the poor? The Apostle John indicates that Judas said this not because he was concerned for the poor, but because he was in charge of the money and had helped himself to it as he pleased, in John chapter 12, verse 6. But Mark and Matthew point out that all the disciples were bewildered and bothered by Mary's extravagant worship and thought it excessive. Jesus does not discourage us from giving to the poor. He explains, For you always have the poor with you, and whenever you wish, you can do good to them. But you do not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for the burial. In verses 7 and 8. We don't know how many opportunities we will have to show our love to Jesus in this world. Let's seize every opportunity to give him our all while we can. Jesus announces that one of his disciples would betray him. You can feel a heaviness of sorrow come upon each disciple as you read Mark's brief account of the Last Supper. We can understand our own hearts are capable of treachery. Lord, is it I? In Matthew chapter 26, verse 22. But Jesus would go to the cross to deal with treacherous hearts. For the Son of Man is to go just as it is written of him. Jesus rests in what the Word says about the necessity of his atoning sacrifice to bring a rescue to the human race. The next line is a sober reminder of the reality of hell. If hell did not exist, this sentence would not make sense. Quote, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. In Mark 14:21. If there were nothing beyond this life, it would not make sense that it would be better for Judas himself had he had not been born. Now let's read from the book of Psalms. We come to the Psalm of Repentance, Psalm 51. I have found that this is a good psalm to read on your knees and to pray from the heart. It is David's Psalm of Repentance. Create in me a clean heart, O God. To the choir master, a psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone into Bathsheba. Verse 1. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned, and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, 
I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins, and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Do good to Zion in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then will you delight in right sacrifices, in burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. This concludes the reading of the psalm. Psalm 51 reminds us that there is no real joy without repentance. Blessed are those who mourn their sin, for they shall be comforted. The poor in spirit will put all their trust in the one who bore their sins upon the cross and offers them a new life with a new heart through the gospel. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and sustain me with a willing spirit. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, and a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. And now our reading from the book of Proverbs, chapter 10, verses 31 and 32. The mouth of the righteous brings forth wisdom, but the perverse tongue will be cut off. The lips of the righteous know what is acceptable, but the mouth of the wicked what is perverse. These verses remind us to let no corrupt communication to proceed out of our mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it might minister grace to the hearer. Bring forth wisdom from your mouth rather than perversity. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you are our appointed head, our leader and faithful Lord and Savior. We desire to set out this day following you. Give us wisdom for our daily decisions. Bridle our tongues from all complaints. Help us to believe your word and respond to your provisions with thankful hearts. Thank you for highlighting the example of Mary, who lavished all that she had upon you. All our hopes are in you. Heavenly Father, may our lives be a worshipful expenditure of devotion. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining with us this day as we've been reading through the scriptures, and I pray that you will be encouraged. If you would like to receive written transcripts of these meditations, you can subscribe at our website at podcast at newlife.org. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace. Shalom. Shalom.